Oh no, you did it! I gotta get the squad back together. You busy? Jim, we need you. My shift's about to start. It's Sunday. Mom! Now? We need you. Fine. Mary, you're coming with us. Alright, well what's up Liquid Church? How y'all doing today? My name is Nathan, and I'm one of the pastors here. Before we jump in, will you join me in welcoming our campuses that are watching throughout the state of New Jersey? Welcome. So glad you guys are here with us as we are wrapping up our series, Squad Goals. But listen, I am super stoked because we are launching a new series next week called At The Movies. This is going to be an incredible series where we're going to kind of look at the, the biggest summer blockbusters and kind of, kind of show the spiritual connections with them. Pastor Tim will be back next week to preach through them. And he's going to be kicking it off with one of my favorite movies, The Greatest Showman. Any Greatest Showman fans in the room here? All across our campuses? All right, yeah. It's an exciting one. And so I want to remind you to make sure you invite uh, someone, whether it's your barista, whether it's your family members. I got some family from out of town that I'm going to be inviting to this series. It's going to be an incredible time of learning and laughing and eating popcorn in church. Who's excited about that? But, you know, before we jump into that, I want to wrap up our series, Squad Goals. And really, we've been kind of looking at the three types of people that you need in your life so that you can become the man or the woman that God intended you to be. And we looked at it through the biblical filters of these three characters. The first was the Apostle Paul, who was the mentor. He was a mentor to the first generation of Christ followers, helping them become who, who they were made to be. In the same way, you and I need a mentor, someone who's coaching us and mentoring us, helping us become who God's called us to be. And then we need an apprentice on our squad. For Paul, that apprentice was a guy named Timothy. He was a young leader that Paul helped to develop and mentor to become more of the man he was supposed to be in that time. And today, we are going to look at a guy who is the cheerleader. Now, this guy was kind of one of those lesser-known saints, maybe not as popular as a Paul who, you know, he wrote large sections of the New Testament. He traveled all over the world planting churches. Maybe not even as famous as Timothy. Timothy, who was, you know, he's got two books of the Bible named after him. But this guy was known for his encouragement, and his name was Barnabas. Barnabas was a significant church leader in his time and in his generation. In fact, we're going to look at today, we would not have the church if it weren't for his influence and his impact. In fact, when we first meet Barnabas, that's not even his name. He's introduced to us as Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So Barnabas was really his nickname. He was the son of encouragement because he was so encouraging. We don't really know too much about him other than the fact that he's a Jewish Christ follower. He's from the island of Cyprus, and he was super, super encouraging. Like, he would encourage people with his words. He would encourage people with his actions and his generosity. In fact, he sold his beach house in Cyprus. Now, I know Cyprus is no point pleasant, but, you know, I'm sure he got a decent amount of cash for his beach house that he sold so that the gospel of Jesus could spread and have a greater impact all over the known world. Barnabas was important because he reminded the early church of who they were. 
that God had called them to be his representatives on earth and that the Holy Spirit was with them. So no matter how hard things got, they could still have a hope. They could still move forward. You see, for Barnabas, they, the early church needed a Barnabas on their squad because he was their cheerleader. Barnabas was cheering them on. And in fact, to really kind of bring this point home for us, I really think we need to understand that being a cheerleader is of utmost importance. Who's ready to bring it on, right? Get our cheer going? Now listen, I know some of you are like, Nathan, I'm not really into this whole cheerleading thing. Because when I think of cheerleader, I think of this. This is what I think of, right? I'm thinking of Will Ferrell doing his little dance. Go Spartans, go, right? Like, isn't that what you're thinking? But you know, there's more to being a cheerleader than this kind of thing. To be a cheerleader means that you're in someone's corner. To be a cheerleader means that you've got their back. To be a cheerleader means that no matter how dark things get, you're able to help people see the light in the midst of it, the positivity in the midst of those dark, dark places. And so guys, you need to have a cheerleader on your squad. In fact, you need to be a cheerleader for your squad. So here's the question that I want us to look at today. It's this question. Who is God calling you to cheer for? Who is God calling you to cheer for? Who is the man or the woman that God's putting in your mind right now that God wants you to cheerlead for? In fact, I, I want, we're going to come back to this question in a bit because this is an important question. Who is God wanting you to be a son of encouragement for? Because there's someone on your squad that's feeling hopeless and you need to help infuse them with hope. Someone on your squad is feeling weak that you need to help make strong. Someone on your squad is feeling lonely that God is calling you to come alongside them, to cheerlead them for them loudly to help them move forward. Because if we're really honest, we live in a world that just seems to drain the life out of us, right? We live in this world that just seems to kind of tear us down and pull us apart with all sorts of circumstances that come our way. Think about the man who's just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He knows his time is short, and he's terrified. He's got to get his affairs in order. He's Got to get ready to say goodbye to his kids. And you know, he doesn't need your pity. He doesn't need you to feel bad for him. You know what he needs? He needs encouragement. He needs you to come around him and say, Hey, listen, I don't understand why God is doing this, but God wants to help you end well. You are going to have an impact and have a legacy for your kids. Just trust in God. He's got a plan for you. He's got an eternity heaven for you. Keep moving forward. Don't lose heart. Or how about the single mom? The man in her life walked out on her, leaving her with the kids, paying no child support, and so she's working two or three jobs to make ends meet. And her, her work is suffering because her full focus can't be there, and her kids are suffering because she can't fully focus on them either. And she doesn't need better time management skills. She doesn't need help on how to budget. You know what she needs? She needs your encouragement. She needs you to cheerlead for her, to say, you are not a failure as a mom. I am with you. I've got your back in this. God's got a plan in this. Don't, don't lose heart. She needs encouragement. Then there's the man that's staring behind a door. He's just staring at the door. Because behind that door is the outside world. The past nine months, he's been in rehab. And he's filled with terror walking out that door because... He's afraid he's going to get sucked back into that group of friends. Back into those bad patterns, those bad habits. And he's heard the stories of friends that have relapsed and friends that have overdosed and friends 
that are gone. You know, he doesn't need a lecture. He doesn't need more information when he needs. He needs a cheerleader. Someone who can say to him, hey, listen, you got this. You're going to get through this. Here's my phone number. Call me any time of the day, morning, noon, or night. I've got you. You've got this. God has a plan for you. He's a God of redemption. And, you know, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? You've got your friend that uh, has just heard that there's got a bunch of layoffs that are coming down from the pike, from their job, and they're terrified of that. You've got your brother or your sister. They're about to take the step of faith to start a new business, and they're scared. They're terrified. Or maybe it's to begin a new relationship. And things are getting serious and they're not sure what to do. And you know what? They don't need advice. They don't need criticism. You know what they need? They need your encouragement. They need you to say, hey, I've got your back and you're going to get through this. You're going to do great. That's what they need. They need encouragement. But but what do we mean by encouragement? What is this idea of encouragement? Like, what is it? Here's kind of how I define encouragement. If you look at the word encouragement, it's really got two words it's made up of. It's the word in and courage. What encouragement means, you're taking courage and you're putting it in someone. You're taking courage and and you're putting it in someone who maybe is struggling with pain or they're struggling with grief. Is there someone on your squad that's struggling right now? Maybe it's struggling physically or maybe it's struggling emotionally or struggling spiritually. Is there someone on your squad that you need to put courage inside of them? Someone in your life. Because there's power in our encouragement. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, encourage one another and... Is it give each other mic-dropping criticism? No, that's not what it says. It's encourage one another and, oh, give them advice that they don't want. Is, is that what the scripture says? No. This is what it says. It says, therefore, encourage one another and, let's say this together at all of our campuses, build each other up. Build each other up. That's what encouragement means. It means that you're taking someone that's on the ground and you're rebuilding them, that you're encouraging them, but through your words, you're giving them life, that you're giving them a new way of seeing the world. You know, this is such a stark contrast with what our culture tells us. Because we live in a culture of criticism, don't we? Think about it. We're always encouraged to kind of keep picking at other people, to keep tearing them down, because we think if if they start to kind of get better, it makes us look worse. And so we have to tear them down. Whether it's through our targeted tweets, whether it's through our Instagram or our Snapchats where we're shaming people and we're judging people by the way they look, or maybe it's our Facebook posts that we write behind anonymity, saying things that we'd say on social media that we would never say face to face. You see, we kind of live in this culture of criticism And it's so different from the culture that Jesus wants us to build in the church. So different from the culture that God's calling us to here at Liquid. In fact, we're called to live out Proverbs 18, where it says the tongue has the power of life and death. Not only does your tongue have the power of life and death, your texts have the power of life and death. Your posts have the power of life and death. Your tweets have the power of life and death. You see, we're not called to kind of keep leaning into this culture of criticism, but to build a culture of encouragement. You see, we're called to, when we have encounters with people, to give them hope and healing and life, not depression and pain and anxiety. We're called to be dealers of hope, not dealers of death. Dealers of hope, where we can continually build people up in our lives in every encounter we have with them. That's the kind of life that Barnabas lived. 
Barnabas was a guy that would give life to people. He was a dealer of hope, not a dealer of death, whenever he'd encounter people. In fact, when we look at the story of Barnabas in the scriptures, there's four types of people that Barnabas would encourage on a regular basis. And these are four types of people that you and I have on our squads. These are four types of people that God is calling you and I to encourage on a regular basis. The first group that, Paul, that Barnabas was called to encourage was to encourage the fearful. To encourage the fearful. See, Barnabas built up around him those who were afraid, and for him, it was the early church leaders. Now, early on in the series, we talked about how the Apostle Paul was, before he became, you know, on Team Jesus, he was actually trying to kill off all the Christians. He was trying to persecute them and destroy them, and he was doing it in Jerusalem, and he wanted to expand the enterprise, so he started going, going out to Damascus to do this. So he's on the road to Damascus, and then he has this encounter with Jesus that literally throws him to the ground. And he gets back up and he realizes how wrong he was, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. And he goes to rectify that by preaching the gospel and raising up uh, other Christians. In fact, he's been doing this in, in, uh, in Arabia and Damascus. And now he's like, I need to go and meet with the apostles to kind of see how we can kind of magnify the Jesus movement. And so he goes to Jerusalem to meet with them, but then there's a problem. It says when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was really a disciple. So Paul comes back into town. He's like, guys, I'm a brother now. I'm part of the Jesus movement. It's, it's all good. And they're like, really? You're the guy that made me and my family run away and hide. We were terrorized by you. You're the guy that literally we had to watch our friends die because you were the ones killing them. And now you're saying it's all good, that you're, you're part of the Jesus movement now? I don't think so. You're a narc, dude. You're trying to infiltrate from the inside out and destroy us. I, I mean, there were legitimate fears when Paul showed up again. They weren't sure what to do with them. But then Barnabas took a huge risk, and he went and talked to Paul. And after they spoke, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You see, this was a huge risk for Barnabas. He didn't know if Paul was going to set him up. So he met with Paul. He talked with him. He verified the things that Paul said. And then he brought Paul into the inner circle of the early Christian leaders. And Barnabas said, listen, guys, I know you're scared. I was too. But he's the real deal. God is doing a work through this guy. We need to bring him in. We need to encourage him. And we need to prepare him for what God has got for his life. See, Barnabas spoke up for Paul and he spoke out against fear so that Paul could enter into his destiny as a leader in the early church. So let me ask you this. Who on your squad is struggling with fear right now? Who on your squad is terrified and they need you to pick up the pom-pom and start cheerleading loudly for them? Maybe they're struggling and afraid of being alone. They're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get married. It just seems like there's no relationships ever working out. You come alongside them and say, you've got this. God is with you. He has not abandoned you. He's got a plan for your life. Just keep going forward. They need you to cheerlead for them. Or maybe it's a fear of commitment. In fact, that's Jacob's story. Jacob was a young man who struggled with the fear of commitment, whether it was in relationships with girls or even friendships. He always kind of kept them kind of a certain distance because he was afraid of what would happen. But it was only until he realized that he needed a squad that was what was going to help him overcome his fear. In fact, let's watch his story now. 
In college, I was hanging out with a ton of girls. I never liked to put a label on it, just mask it. And I'd be dating girls without actually be dating them. If I um, saw that the next step was commitment, if I saw that the next step was me to actually invest, me actually to um, be vulnerable, instead of doing that, I would come up with issues, with problems. You know, in my mind, I thought, well, it's not the perfect girl, as just a, a cop-out. Um, when I was in college, I thought it was just, oh, I got time, There's, it's not really a big deal. But now that I'm out of college, like, I really had no excuse. Obviously, I wanted to move towards marriage. I wanted to move towards um, starting a family. After the third, fourth, fifth girlfriend that I had for a short term, I just kind of realized that Maybe there was a problem there. Maybe there's a reason that these relationships were so short, besides the fact that she wasn't the right one for me. And maybe it was actually something within me, and some, a problem that I had. You know, I wasn't actually being vulnerable. I wasn't actually growing in relationships. Those expectations of starting a family, of getting married, were, um, were scary to me. It all um, kind of stemmed from, from fear of, relationship, from fear of not being a great husband, from uh, seeing the faults of, of my dad. So the, the darkest parts of me, the deepest parts of me, I was holding on to for myself. And so I felt lonely because I had these issues, but I was trying to take them and, and tackle them on my own. When you're not committed to relationships and have people with you um, going through that, it's a lot more difficult. And I realized that God, um, grows us through that, that God wants to um, work out our, our difficulties, our insecurities, our struggles through commitments, through relationships with other people. You know, for Jacob, he was struggling with insecurity and fear, but he could only overcome them through his squad. It was only through relationships and commitments could he truly find, find hope, find healing. In fact, one of the things that I know for sure is that Jacob had a guy or a girl in his squad that was his encourager, his cheerleader, helping him to see beyond his situation. So let me ask you this. On your squad, who's your Jacob? Who's someone that needs encouragement, that needs you to come alongside of them, who's struggling with fear, that needs you to cheerlead loudly for them? Maybe you've got someone on your squad that's about to take on a new job or they're going in for a job interview and they're terrified. They don't know what they should be doing. They need you to cheerlead loud for them, to say, hey, listen, you went to college for this. You've got what it takes for this job. You just need to step out in faith and take a risk. Go and do it. You've got this. Or maybe it's someone who wants to take a step in terms of spiritual growth. They want to grow their relationship with Jesus, but there's so many things in their past that have kept them from it. There's, there's guilt and there's shame. You can come alongside them and encourage them. Hey, listen, God is at work in your life. He's not done with you yet. Keep taking steps forward. Keep turning to him, and you're going to see God's favor in your life. Don't stop now. Don't stop. Keep going. They need you to cheerlead loudly for them. Listen, you may think that you're being a good friend by not saying anything, but God's calling you to step up and take a risk and speak into their life and say, and cheerlead for them loudly, even if they may not be ready to hear it. Because you're called to encourage the fearful, especially the fearful in your squad. Just like Barnabas did. He encouraged the fearful in his squad, but he didn't just stop there. He encouraged the fearful because he was dedicated to encourage the faithful. He wanted to encourage the faithful on his squad as well. Those who knew Jesus, who had a relationship with him, but maybe were struggling. You know, in the story of Barnabas, there's a small group of believers that kind of popped up in this little city called Antioch, which is located in modern-day Turkey. 
And at the time, it was kind of controversial because most of these new believers, these young believers, they came from non-Jewish backgrounds. Up to this point, it was all Jewish people that had a, uh, had a Jewish background that started following Jesus. And now they were, the Jewish leaders were concerned, the Jewish Christians, because they're like, who are these people? Because at the time, there was this thing called Jewish supremacy that took place. They believed because they had the, the covenant, they had the law, they had the scriptures, that they were superior to others. And that everyone else was a second-class citizen. So when they heard that this group of non-Jews was becoming Christ followers, that were, they were becoming Christians, they were like, I don't know what's going on here. They were pretty concerned. And so they sent a guy down named Barnabas to check it out. Because they knew that Barnabas would know whether or not this was real or not, and if it wasn't real, he'd stamp it out. So they send down Barnabas, and here's what happens. It says, And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Guys, Barnabas went down there, and he spent a lot of time with these non-Jews, these young believers. He wasn't motivated by, you know, implicit bias or prejudice or anything like that. He saw what God was doing. God was expanding his squad. It was going beyond cultural limitations, beyond ethnic limitations. It was spreading to every part of the world, to every people group. And Barnabas rejoiced, and he sent this message up to the Jerusalem leaders, and they started freaking out. They're like, well, no, wait a minute. No, God doesn't do stuff like that. No, we're, the, we're his chosen people. It's only us. We got to keep these people away. They can't be part of what God has for us. And when Barnabas heard this, he came alongside these Jewish leaders, he got his, or these Jewish new believers, these non-Jews, and he, and he started cheering for them. He said, guys, God came for you. You're not second-class believers. He, he came for me. He came for you. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Remain in him. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to one another because you need one another in order to grow in your faith. And he's encouraging them to stay strong and to stay connected. Because what Barnabas is doing is actually riffing on the words of Jesus when Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Barnabas is telling this small group of Christians, the squad in this place called Antioch, they're the only Christians there. You guys need one another. You've got to build one another up with encouragement. You've got to encourage one another. You've got to speak truth to one another because they're going to need help. They're going to need to rely on one another when the persecution came. They needed each other. They couldn't follow Jesus well and faithfully without one another. In the same way, we need a squad. And at Liquid Church, we have squads. We call them small groups because we can't follow Jesus alone. Following Jesus is not a solo sport. Amen? It's a team sport. We need one another. We need to rely on one another in order to stay faithful, to stay encouraged, to keep moving forward in our relationship with God. You know, a friend of mine who goes to our church was uh, telling me that, you know, he was in a small group. And while he's in a small group, he's going through a pretty um, ugly divorce. It was really difficult. And he said, Nathan, the darkest part of that time was my birthday. Because normally my spouse and I, we would go out for my birthday. We would go and we'd hang out. And, and this year, I wasn't going out with her. And so I, I felt really lonely and I felt really depressed. And it was also the same night for my small group. And so I, I went down to my small group and their meeting actually over at the Mountainside campus. And I remember walking in the door and I think it started at seven and, and it was only me and this one other guy. And I was looking at my watch, 7.05, 7.10, 7.15, and none of the people in our group showed up. And I really started feeling discouraged. I'm like, 
you know, this is like my birthday and my first birthday without my wife and I feel really discouraged. Where's my small group? And finally, the guy I was with there was saying, hey, uh, I got to go downstairs and grab something. I could use some help. You want to come with me? So I went with him and we walked down the stairs and he opened the door and I walk in and there's my small group. The room is decorated. There's a lit birthday cake and they're singing happy birthday. You see, they came around me and they encouraged me. They said that we love you. God loves you. God's not done with you. You're not a failure. We are with you in this. And Nathan, I felt so loved in that moment. I felt so encouraged because it was such a dark, dark time. And my small group, they came around me. They were my squad. They were my lifeline. So here's my question. Who's on your squad? Who's on your squad? Who are the, the Christ followers that are around you, that are encouraging you, that are giving you the strength that you need to keep going forward in times, maybe it's a rough job loss, or, or maybe it's, a, it's difficulty in a relationship. Who are those people that are coming around you to encourage you, to cheerlead loudly for you in those times of difficulty and darkness? Because we all need them. We all need a squad. We all need to be part of a small group that can offer that for us. You see, just like Barnabas, you and I, we're called to encourage the fearful, and to encourage the faithful. But we're also called to encourage future stars. To encourage future stars. See, when Barnabas was told he had to go and stay with this small group of believers, these young believers down in Antioch, to help kind of grow them in their faith, he said, absolutely. But he said, I can't, I can't do this alone. I need to round out my squad. And so what he did was he actually needed a guy named Paul. Remember Paul met with the Jerusalem leaders, and after he met with them, what happened was they said, Paul, great job. We love that, that you love Jesus, but now we want you to go and go back to your hometown. Go hang out there. You know, just be faithful. But Barnabas knew God had a bigger plan for Paul. So Barnabas went to his hometown, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So now Paul is joining Barnabas' squad, and he is killing it in Jesus' name. You know, he's doing a great job. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's encouraging. And in fact, he even gets a new name. He goes from being Saul to being Paul, and he's doing a great job. But then something happens that's both uh, significant, but also really subtle. There's a shift that takes place. And we see this in chapter 13, verse 13. It says, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga. It's really quick, and you, you might miss it. You see, up until this point, it's always been Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas, Paul, Barnabas, and Paul. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes Paul and his companions. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. What happened? Barnabas just handed off the leadership of his squad to Paul. I don't know what the conversation looked like, but I'm sure Barnabas said, listen, Paul, you have grown, you've matured, you're doing a phenomenal job. You've been part of my supporting staff, but now we're going to switch roles. You're going to be the boss. I'm going to support you. You're going to call the shots, I'm going to cheerlead loudly for you. You tell us where we're going, and I'll be the first one to say, I'm in. Barnabas knew that his time was over, and it was Paul's time to kind of run with this. I think for many of us, this whole idea of handing off something that we've built, maybe it's maybe something we've done at work, or maybe in ministry or church, it can be kind of difficult. But a really secure leader is okay with the encouragement and the successes of others. And if I can be honest with you, I haven't always been very successful at that. I remember in one of the, the first organizations I, I worked in as a leader, uh, there was a young guy that I was overseeing, and he was a phenomenal leader. Phenomenal speaker, uh, great leader, great ideas. 
But I felt threatened by him, if I'm completely honest. I felt threatened. I felt insecure. And so anytime someone would come um, up to me and tell me what a great job he did, maybe it was speaking or running an event or something like that, I would say something along the lines of, well, it was a good talk, but it was a little long, you know. Or, you know, he did this event. Yeah, it was, it was a good event, but, you know, it, was, you know, it wasn't super organized in this area, or I would have done it different. But I was literally criticizing this guy and cutting him down every opportunity I got. He'd come to me with his ideas and tell him why the ideas weren't that good or why, you know, we can't do them right now. I would notice him working late, and I would tell him, hey, listen, dude, you're, you're, you're wasting time. Just go home. You're done. And eventually, he left the organization. Looking back, that was a failure on my part. Because rather than encouraging this guy and cheerleading loudly for him, what I did was I just gave him every reason to leave because of my own insecurity and my own fear. But if we are truly secure in ourselves and can really know that God has a plan for our own lives, we can encourage others. We can cheerlead others loudly. In fact, that's what we try to do here at Liquid. We try to encourage future stars in every opportunity that we can. That's why we have our dream teamers. Like, we have dream teamers from all over our campus. In fact, we got two dream teamers up here. This is Monica and this is Amy. They're part of our Clean Water Cafe. In fact, can we hear it for our Clean Water Cafe teams all across our campuses? They are doing a phenomenal job making sure all of us are caffeinated and awake. So praise God for all of you. But, you know, Monica was kind of overseeing the Clean Water Cafe, and Amy was a volunteer. She, she joined up, and she was doing a great job kind of serving coffee and bringing out conversations and encouraging people. And then Monica came up to Amy and said, you know, Amy, would you be interested in kind of going to the next level? We have a partner, which is a team with special needs, that we would love for you to kind of come and coach and mentor and kind of help support her so that she can succeed as a partner in our Clean Water Cafe. And Amy did it and did a phenomenal job and was able to coach and mentor this girl and help her kind of grow in her ability. And Monica saw that Amy was an incredible, incredible leader. And so Monica invited her to join the leadership at the Clean Water Cafe. Now the two of them are making sure that we're getting coffee all across Morris County, which is a huge blessing, and, and we need that. <laughs> but can I tell you something? You know, Monica could have at any one of those moments been like, man, I feel really insecure and kind of threatened by Amy. Like, uh, you know, like what if she's a better leader than me? What, what if she ends up taking this over from me? What if people look down on me? But you know what Monica did instead? Monica picked up the pom-pom, and she started cheering loudly for Amy. You're doing an awesome job. We want you part of the team. You're going you're gonna to do such a great job. You're going to kill, kill at this. And she did. She picked up the pom-pom. She cheer-led for her because she understood that here's a future star that we want to make an all-star. You see, there's something powerful that happens when you start to cheerlead someone. Maybe there's someone in your department and you can see they're a future star and you feel insecure like I did. You feel kind of threatened by them and you're not sure if they, if they keep going up, what's going to happen to me? Can I tell you something? When you start to cheerlead for someone else, the focus is now off of you and it's on them. Insecurity, it melts. Being threatened, it melts away because you realize it's not about me. It's about how I can serve and bless others. That's the power of encouragement. That's the power of cheerleading for the next generation. Or maybe it's someone in liquid family. Maybe you see uh, when you're picking up your kids, there's a high schooler or a middle school that's really blessing and investing your kid. Tell them that. Encourage them. Tell their parents that so that they can, under, so they can know that they're loved and they're valued and they have a place where they can contribute in God's kingdom. That's what it means to encourage. It's speaking out loud the things that maybe you're thinking so others can benefit from it. That's true encouragement. 
So if you want to encourage your squad, just like Barnabas did, you got to encourage the fearful, those that are afraid in your squad. you got to encourage the faithful. Maybe there's Christ followers that are struggling, and they need you to come alongside and cheerlead for them. Or how about encouraging future stars? When you encourage future stars, it'll melt your insecurity, it'll melt your fear, because it's not about you, it's about others and about serving. And the final group that Barnabas encouraged, which I think is one of the most important, is to encourage the failures. To encourage the failures. These are the people who swung and they missed. Maybe they failed in their marriage. Or maybe they feel like they're failing at work. Or maybe it's a friend of yours and they failed you. And they're filled with such shame and remorse that they're kind of avoiding you. They don't return your texts or your phone calls because they feel that way. See, Barnabas had a heart for the failures around him. He wanted to help them become who God made them to be. In fact, at times it would put him at odds with others on his own squad. In fact, there was this time where Paul is getting ready for another trip, and so Paul starts to put together his squad. He's like, Barnabas, I want you on my squad. And Barnabas is like, yeah, man, let's do this. But then Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So John Mark is this young believer. He's this young, you know, junior leader, and he's really excited about going on this trip. He's eager. He's, he's ready to go. Have you ever had someone like this? Maybe you, someone you work with, they're super eager. They're ready to take on the next challenges. They're, they're, they're amped up. They're ready to go. They're encouraged. They're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. And right when they're about to launch, they get cold feet. They freak out and they run away. They're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And they're filled with shame and they're filled with remorse. And maybe they're afraid to show their face to you because they know they failed. And they know they messed up. I mean, that's John Mark. This is the guy that swung, and he missed. And Paul is done with this dude. Paul's like, this guy, John Mark, man, he's, he's like, oh, I'm ready for, to go on the mission trip. I'm ready to do this. What a millennial snowflake this guy is. <laughs> so entitled. He's just going to cut and run when things get tough. No, he's not coming, Barnabas. Barnabas is like, no, no, no. This is what it means to be followers of Jesus. we got to bring these guys that are struggling and bring them along with us and help them. And the two just aren't seeing eye to eye. In fact, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted companies. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. It says Paul took another guy and he went somewhere else. And we don't know if Barnabas and Paul got back together. But Barnabas took this guy, John Mark, and he kind of encouraged him. He worked with him. He said, you know, listen, man, I know you failed, and I know you feel bad, but here's how you can get better. Here's the next steps you need to take to grow in your faith, to grow as a leader. And you know what? John Mark actually, to his credit, did the work. In fact, later on, him and Paul end up teaming back up together. But Barnabas saw a guy who had failed and said, I want to help this kid. Maybe you have a John Mark on your squad. Maybe you have a John Mark, it's someone, and they've swung, and they've missed, and they failed, and they feel remorse, guilt, and shame. Maybe it's the kid that started their first year of college, and they had such a difficult time that they just quit. And they're like, I, I don't know if I can do this again. Or maybe there's a guy or a girl on your squad, and they started dating someone, and their intention was, we want this relationship to be pure. We, we want this relationship to be strong. We want this relationship to, to, to go well and to honor God, but they messed up once and then twice, and now their relationship is tainted. They can't seem to get out of this cycle. Or maybe there's someone in your squad that just can't get a job. They're like, I just filled out 50, 50 resumes. I, I sent out 50 of my resumes out there, 50 job applications. 
I, you know, the unemployment's at its lowest. I can't seem to get a job. I just feel like a complete failure. And maybe they think that that failure is what defines them. Like, failure, that's just who I am. That's the name over me. But you can pick up the pom-pom for them. You can help them realize that failure, it does not define you. But if you can't, if you want, you can let failure refine you. Because the truth of the matter is, is that failure is not the final verdict. Amen? Failure is not the final verdict. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I, I failed at my business. I don't think I could ever do it again. I put my heart, my soul, my life into that thing. But God is saying to you that failure is not the final verdict. I have another plan for you. My, your role is not done. You have not accomplished the purposes I have for your life yet. Or maybe you're here and you failed at your marriage and you're like, I can't believe this. I feel like a complete failure. I don't know if God's ever going to love me or redeem me. But God is saying to you, I, I love you. I can redeem this situation. I have a plan for you. I have not forgotten you. You're not alone and you're not abandoned. Maybe some of you, your kids have walked away from faith and they've walked away from you. And you feel like you failed them as a parent. You failed them as a spiritual leader. But what God wants you to know is that failure is not the final verdict. I am not done with you. I have a plan for your life. I'm going to use this situation for my glory. Amen? Can we give God a praise right now? Because this is who our God is. He is a God of forgiveness and grace. He is a God of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. That is who our God is. And he calls us to cheer loudly for others. So here's my question for you, where I want to land. Who is God calling you to cheer for? Who is God calling you to cheer for? Remember, through this entire message, I've been asking you to keep someone in mind, right? Who, who is that man or that woman that God is calling you to cheer for? Now, normally what we want to do is, like, on, on Monday morning, we want you to kind of take what you learned today and go and do it, but we're actually going to ask you to do something right now. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead, reach in your pockets, take out your cell phone. I know some of you have been pretending that you're taking notes, but I know you're texting. But here's your opportunity. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead, open up your phone, open up wherever your, whatever app you use to text. And I want you to put in someone's name, that man or that woman, that boy or that girl that God's put on your heart to encourage. Go ahead, put their name in there right now. And if you're like, Nathan, what do, I, what do I say? I'll give you a couple examples. Maybe you say to them, hey, I'm in church right now, and I was thinking about you, and I'm praying for you. Or, hey, listen, I know right now you're going through chemo, and it's tough, but I'm praying for you right now, and I'm thinking about you. Or, I know it's tough, you know, you're the only one with the kids, you're a single, you're a single parent, but I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you, I'm telling you, you're doing a great job. Don't stop. Or maybe it's that young man or that young woman in your life that's struggling with addiction. It's like, hey, I know you're struggling right now, but I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I'm going to send you a text. So go ahead, right now, just text him. Send that message out to them. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, Nathan, I, I, I'm actually the person that needs encouragement right now. I'm the one that needs a text. Can I tell you something? We actually have at all of our campuses, a team of Barnabases that would love to come around you to encourage you and pray for you. In fact, right now at all of our campuses, if you're part of our prayer team, our team of Barnabases, would you stand up right now and start coming forward? Go ahead, right now. At all of our campuses, go ahead, stand up, start coming forward. And these men and women would love the opportunity to pray for you, to encourage you, to help actually pray courage into you through the power of the Holy Spirit so you leave here transformed and changed because God's Spirit has been put in you. 
whether it's struggling with fear or anxiety or insecurity, we want to pray for you. We want you to leave here encouraged because you've been touched by the Spirit of God. In fact, I want to pray for all of our teams here and then afterwards encourage you to come forward for prayer, for encouragement. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now. God, I know that right now the enemy is he's attacking us with thoughts that are of discouragement, thoughts of just kind of tearing us down. So Father, I just bind those thoughts right now in the name of Jesus and command them to leave. Father, I pray that you'd speak words of blessing, words of hope. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and fill all of us in this room? Would you fill us with hope? Would you fill us with purpose? Will you fill us with joy? Would you help us to know that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, that you are not done with us, but instead you are preparing us for something more? We ask God that you'd fill us with courage, that you'd encourage us. As some of us come for prayer, would we receive what you have for us through prayer? And as we send out those texts, God, may they be words of wisdom and power and revelation. In Jesus' mighty and awesome name we pray. Amen.